Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. video. I love this uh, saying and the uh, slogan that we have been using, um, you belong here. Um, It's just so powerful and impactful for me personally. And I believe that um, it is a part of what we do is invite people into community. And I love how this video depicts individual lives going about their day-to-day routine, but then converging together in the different ways that they serve or impact their community. And so it's absolutely beautiful. Um, If you are with us this morning, uh, maybe you're new. Um, My name is Crystal. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor. So I just want to introduce myself to you. It's my honor to be able to bring God's word to you today. Um, Also, if you're here and you'd like to follow along in God's Word, what we're going to be talking about, um, and you have the Bible app on your phone, um, then you can follow these instructions and follow along with this morning's message and take notes if you'd like. Um, And so that's just a tool that we use to help us as we navigate um, the Word each Sunday. And we don't always bring it up every Sunday, but it's there for you uh, most of the time. So it's always worthwhile to pop in there and check it out. Um, So we are in the I Am series, and we're talking about what it means um, as a believer, an individual, as a part of the Bethesda community. Uh, What does it mean for us to be a part of Bethesda? What does it mean for us? How do we identify? How do we navigate life together? And what are the important things for us to own, um, to identify with? And so we had talked about things like I am forgiven. Um, As as an individual here, um, it's important for you to know that Christ has done a great work in forgiving you. And we celebrated that earlier through the uh, through those songs we sang and the gathering around the communion table and participating in remembering what Christ has done for each of us individually. And so we began this series with a message on I am forgiving, and that's who we are. Um, we talked about being growing, individuals who are connected to the vine and growing in Christ and growing in our faith journey. We've also talked about being for St. John's. We talked about how we are for our community, how we are for St. John's, we are for Torbay, we are for families, we are for teenagers, we are for individuals, couples, seniors, and that is the mission that Christ has given us. And today we're talking about being devoted. I am devoted. And I get to bring this to you, and I'm so excited. Uh, We had talked about this series, we were thinking about different terms that we could use um, to... um, you know, qualify what today would be and what we would want to communicate today. And we talked about words like committed or invested, um, but we really were looking for a word that really cornered and hinged on relationship. Uh, Because you could be committed to something or invested in something, but you had to have no relationship with that thing. And so we wanted to make sure that when we were talking about today, we were using a word that had to be cemented in relationship. And we believe that we are devoted. And so that's what we're going to navigate today. And you probably wouldn't use the term devoted flippantly. Um, or in basic, simple conversation. And so you may be on a first date, and if the term devoted comes up in the first date, you should, you should probably run. Just a word of advice. I don't, some of you have been there. You're laughing because you've been like, yeah, that happened to me one time. If it did, you can come tell me. We'll laugh about it. It'll be a good story. Um, if you were the one using the word devoted on a first date, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, it's just not. It's not the right place. So that's some advice for you navigating dating relationships going forward. I can, I promise you, I've been there. Um, awkward first dates, I've been there. Um, but yeah, devoted is something that has to be used in reference of something that's really powerful and really connected with us. Um, likewise, unless you really, really enjoy fast food, you probably wouldn't use the term devoted in relation to fast food restaurants. You know, I'm really devoted to that one fast food joint there. You you might. I don't know how you use your vocabulary, but devotion connotates something like a very deep, connected, personal relationship. And so we want to talk about what does it mean to be those things here at Bethesda? What does it mean to be devoted as a Christian? And so as we navigate this conversation or what that means for us, um, there are so many um, individuals in scripture and men and women who have lived out devotion um, in very heroic ways throughout scripture. And when you're going through your small group guide um, with your small group, um, you will read about a woman named Esther and Mordecai and how they lived out devotion. And I hope that's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. If you don't currently have a small group or a small group guide, you can visit our website, click on the I Am series, and uh, the guide is available there for you to download. And you can work through that, start a small group or work through it on your own if you wish. But uh, Esther and Mordecai lived out lives that were devoted, and you can read about that in there. Um, But I wanted to take some time today to talk about a gentleman named Nehemiah and how he lived a devoted life and what he did um, in Scripture. And before we can really get into a whole lot about Nehemiah, I feel like it's important for us to understand where he is in Jewish history. And so uh, a lot of times, if you've been to a Sunday school before, or maybe um, you've been in church a few times, you hear about God's word and you say, well, that's in the Old Testament or that's in the New Testament. Well, this is true. God's word is divided into these testaments. Um, But it's really important for us, I think, um, and also because I'm a little bit of a nerd, to understand the history um, of the Jewish people in understanding where Nehemiah is in his point in time in history. And so for the Jewish people, um, they navigated their faith and religion um, and their relationship with God through practices and things that happened at the temple. And so the temple for them was a huge um, factor of importance for them in understanding how they do their relationship with God. And so they actually divide their early Jewish history into periods called temple periods. And so the first temple was built by Solomon in 1200 BC. Um, and you can read, you've probably read about Solomon collecting all of the gold and the things that he would need in order to construct this temple. And that became, um, you know, a huge part of their faith. And into 586 BC, uh, when the Jewish people, their nation was taken over by the Babylonians. The Babylonians came in and all their force and anger, and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. They tore down Jerusalem's walls and the homes and the city of Jerusalem itself was demolished. They took the Jewish people, many of them, and they took groups of them and sent them into different locations, which is why we call it exile. So they were picked up from Jerusalem and from Judea, and they were sent off to different areas to live. And the Babylonians did this because they knew that dividing them would make them weaker. And so we see a weaker Jewish faith and existence happening during the Babylonian exile. And we have some really impactful stories in scripture um, from this period of time. And you 
you think about Daniel. Um, and then um, the Babylonians are conquered by another nation, and the Jewish people are invited to say, well, you can go back if you like. Um, you know, I know you were exiled, but if you want to go back to your homeland, we don't care. Go for it. We're just off conquering a new land. And so the Jewish people, uh, the end of the exile happened in 536, and so they were able to go back to Jerusalem, and they began to rebuild the temple um, because they needed that location and that space to re-engage their faith and as a community to continue to grow. And so that's what they started to do. Uh, Their return to Jerusalem happened pretty slow, actually. Some of them went in little groups, and, you know, some people actually didn't go back at all. They enjoyed where they were, or they believed that they could navigate their Jewish faith um, in the community that that they were currently in. They had put roots down. They had intermarried. And so they decided to stay in other areas. And so where we find Nehemiah is this little orange dot in 444 B.C. during the Second Temple period. And so Nehemiah is living out his life at a point in time where the exile is now behind them, but people are still returning, still navigating what it means to be a Jew at this time. The second temple has been rebuilt, and so they're getting some feet underneath them, and we enter into Nehemiah's story. And you can read about him in the book that's so conveniently named after him, Nehemiah. Um, his account begins with him at the citadel um, in Susa. And Susa is really um, interesting. It's also where we find the story of Esther in our small group guide, if you if you take time to do that. Um, but he's hanging out in the temple there, um, and uh, the citadel there, and he is um, a a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And so he has an important role, um, but he is a servant. And while he's there, um, he meets with his brother who had just traveled there from Judah. And Nehemiah is anticipating positive reports of the efforts to rebuild the city. So he's thinking, my brother's here. He's going to tell me of the wonderful things that are happening in Jerusalem because they had just been through a lot. They had been through a lot, and the heyday had arrived. They had been able to go back, rebuild, start over, start fresh. And Nehemiah was expecting sparkly reports, everything to be fantastic and wonderful. But what he hears from his brother doesn't bring him joy. It actually breaks his heart. And we can read that in Nehemiah 1, verse 2. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Um, The Jewish remnant were the Jews who had returned home. So they were the ones who had gone back. So he questioned his brother about them. And that's those individuals who survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, um, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And his prayer is documented there in the rest of the chapter. The people were going back with the full intention of rebuilding not only the temple, but Jerusalem itself, because it was such an important part of their faith. Jerusalem was the holy city. And so somehow along this period of time, the temple had been rebuilt, but the city laid in ruins. And so Nehemiah is feeling the burden and understanding of what is actually happening here. They did try to rebuild the walls, but Things came up against them, and it became too difficult, and they gave up. It was a mixture of apathy and fear that caused the Jewish people to fail in their attempt to complete this project. 
And they tried, they planned, but they became apathetic and fearful. And so they gave up. They had their temple. They felt like that was enough. But Nehemiah felt the burden of the problem deeply. Interestingly enough, he felt a personal responsibility toward the circumstances in Judah. He committed the problem to God in prayer. And he shows us that devotion is personal. Devotion is personal. Devotion is naturally highly personal. It would be an oxymoron if to have a non-personal sense of devotion. You can't say you're devoted to something but not have a personal connection with that something or care for that something or love for that something. And it's evident through Nehemiah's introduction here that he himself has a very personal relationship with God as a Jewish young man. And it is clear um, that is through his words that he's not only mourning what is happening in Judah, but that he himself is praying in preparation for action. He is feeling this personal sense of devotion in preparation for action. Nehemiah was willing to take a step of faith even though the odds were not in his favor to do so. He felt so much personal responsibility that he was willing to step into a situation um, that had really little to do with him, to be honest. Nehemiah had a job in the presence of the king. He was not living in Judah. It was not necessarily personal for Nehemiah to get involved. He could have separated himself from the situation and not cared I said, well, that's too bad for them. That's really unfortunate. And dusted his hands of it and walked away. But this man felt a personal devotion. And that spurred him to a place of deciding that he needed to take action. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, it's personal? Yeah, right? And you've probably heard that before. Someone said something cutting and you saw something unfold that would look like a physical altercation. And so sometimes if someone is trying to um, rib somebody or get in someone's way or say something that's going to hurt someone, they make it personal. They say something that gets at the core, something about your family or something that hurts or that digs. And then welling up within that person is this indignation and anger because it was made personal. Well, that's what Nehemiah was feeling. Even though Nehemiah wasn't living in Judah Hearing of this and what was happening made it personal for him because of his love for God and his love for his religion and his love for where they were going and where they have been. It was personal for Nehemiah. It wasn't just information that he could separate himself from. And for us, for us today, devotion has to be personal what Christ has done for us and what we just sang about and what happened around the communion table, what God has done for us is personal to us. And so when we look at situations outside of ourselves, it has to be personal. We can't look beyond our circumstances or maybe into situations that are unfolding in our families or situations that are unfolding in our city or on our campus or in our workplaces and say, hey, that's not me. Because devotion is personal and it matters to God. And if it matters to God, it matters to us. And so what is unfolding in our world, although it may not be impacting us individually in that moment of our lives because we feel somewhat separated from us, it's personal to God and it has to be 
personal to us. We need to be able to feel the hope of what could happen on the other side of our personal devotion. The hope of what could happen on the other side of our personal devotion. And so, Nehemiah is feeling this sense of brokenness. He's feeling the personal effect of what is happening so far away from him. And he is serving the king. And the king becomes aware of Nehemiah's sadness and opens a conversation um, with Nehemiah where he gives him the opportunity to share with him what is happening and why he's so sad. And we read this in chapter two. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, Nehemiah says. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are, bur are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? And now let's be clear for just a second. Servants take orders from the king. The king doesn't often ask a servant for orders. But the king is here, and Nehemiah has shared his heart, even though in these kinds of circumstances, he is just to serve. And so Nehemiah stepped outside of his fear and shared with the king what was happening. And the king comes back to him and says, what do you want? And we know that this had to be God. And Nehemiah replies to him with requests to the king. Imagine that. And so the king says, he says to the king, and he had to have been thinking of these because these are impactful things to be asking your ruler for. He says, send to me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so I can rebuild it. Basic enough. I need a leave of absence. Let me go. I'll be back. And the king says to him, okay, how long do you need? And Nehemiah tells him a period of time. And the king's like, okay, that's fine. And Nehemiah could have just left at that point, but Nehemiah knew he needed more. And he was trusting God for the more. And so he goes back to the king and he says this, I also need letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. He's basically saying, I got to travel through some territory here. Um, I need to be sure that I'm going to be safe. So can you write me some letters to ensure that I, I'm able to get to Judah safely? And the king's like, Okay, that's easy enough. I can write a few letters. And then he says this. And a letter to Asaph, leader of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Now, Nehemiah, you're asking for something. You are asking for resources from the king himself, of the king's resources, And he does, in his boldness, because of his faith, he says, hey, I also need the resources to rebuild my city. And the king gives it to him. He does, he gives his servant these resources. Not only does he give him that, but as we continue to read, we see that Nehemiah says that he sent officers with him and cavalry with Nehemiah to go with him. And as we read further into Nehemiah, we find out that not only did the king do all of this for him, but he also made Nehemiah the official governor of Jerusalem. The official governor, a servant, a cupbearer. 
in request to the king becomes made governor of Jerusalem because devotion trusts faith over fear. Devotion puts faith over fear. And so we know Nehemiah obviously waited for the right moment to talk to the king. He wasn't necessarily running to him from that citadel in Susa and telling him and blurting it all out. He waited and he prepared and he prayed. And we know that this moment was crucial and he was ready for it. And he was trusting God for it. He also knew that his success in Jerusalem required this from the king. And it required God's hand in it. And so he placed his trust and his faith in that. And on arrival in Jerusalem, we find that Nehemiah's faith and his his fears are all tested all over again. When he arrives in Jerusalem, they are not happy to see him coming. The officials that are currently in Jerusalem are actually annoyed that Nehemiah shows up. So annoyed that Nehemiah continues his mission in the dark, as we see in just a few moments. And so Nehemiah didn't allow his fear, his trepidation, to hold him back. But he allowed himself to be propelled by his faith. He trusted his faith over his fear. And for us, our devotion must propel us past our fears and into our faith. As individuals and as a community, we have to believe together that what is on the other side of our faith is greater than the risks that are within our fear. What is on the other side of our faith is greater than the risks within our fear. When we step forward in faith, God has opportunity to honor us. And he honored Nehemiah by opening the doors of opportunity for him, by preparing the way before him so that he would have success in speaking to the king and he would have success when he arrives in Jerusalem. And so we see Nehemiah in Jerusalem. The people are not happy that he's there, uh, the officials. And so Nehemiah's like, well, I need to make a plan. I need to share this information with someone. We need to rally some people together. So he takes people at night. He grabs some individuals that he finds trustworthy, and at night, they go and survey the city and the damage that has been done, and they decide what should happen. And he says to them, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let's start rebuilding. So they began this good work. The Jewish people were currently living in and around Jerusalem and they had fallen prey to apathy. They had fallen prey to fear. They had rebuilt the temple and they believed that that was enough for now And yet they did not have the fight or vision to continue forward. They did not have what they needed within themselves to unite their community and move forward as a people group, as a Jewish people. And so Nehemiah comes in and he shares vision. Devotion shares vision. He tells them about his faith and the story that has brought him up to this point. He shares with them what God has done in preparing him and helping him and resourcing him through the hands of the king. And they find hope in this. 
enough hope, enough vision, and enough purpose to commit to this project with Nehemiah. For us, devotion should be so encompassing, so powerful that it cannot resist but sharing the enthusiasm of vision, goals, and the progress that God has made. And that's for us. We need to be devoted in sharing vision. And it should be a natural outpouring of who we are and what we do because we're so excited about what we're seeing God do individually in our lives, in our, in our families, in our church, and in our community. What a wonderful opportunity to talk about for St. John's. Not because we want everyone to look at it and look at us, but because we get to share the good news of what God is doing and what God has done for our community through your hands. Thank you, church. Devotion shares vision. It shares it together, enthusiastically, joyfully, because vision unites us. Vision brings us together, and it brought the people together in Nehemiah's situation. And in the third chapter of Nehemiah, we see this beautiful, powerful list of all the people who were involved. And so Nehemiah has overcome his fears. He has made it personal. He has now rallied people together and given them vision. And we see this list of everyone who's been a part of it. It says that so-and-so picked up this and they built that gate and someone else built this gate. And what he is doing is he is being intentional about celebrating and honoring each and every person who was a part of the mission. Everyone has a place because devotion propels everyone. Why? Everyone matters. Nehemiah had the opportunity to note all of the priests, the goldsmiths, the perfume makers, the rulers, the highest of Jewish society, and yet even the humblest, propelled forward by their devotion, working shoulder to shoulder, building their future together. This kind of devotion belongs to everyone. Everyone is invited to the mission. Everyone is invited to share the good work that God has done. Everyone is invited to to build stronger families, to build stronger community. And here, everyone is invited into this narrative with Nehemiah to do a great work, to rebuild Jerusalem. And here for us, you are all invited. We are all invited. We all have an important part to play Nehemiah and the others that were involved in the construction, they faced challenges while rebuilding the walls. They did. They faced opposition, but they had to find strength in their faith and in their shared commitment together. And they did. And they were successful. Devotion had to include resolve in the midst of the journey. It had to include resolve in the midst of the journey because the journey was worthwhile meant that it wasn't going to be an easy journey. And we have skimmed through the introduction of Nehemiah's journey quite simply this morning. And it sounds simple, but it was hard for Nehemiah, and it was hard for the Jewish people, and their history was hard for them. But it was worthwhile. The journey was worthwhile. And it was their devotion that propelled them forward. 
the truths of devotion had to be reapplied regularly for them. They had to be reminded regularly that the mission had to remain personal for them. It was personal for them. It was a personal goal. It mattered to every Jew that this was done. And so the mission was personal. Their faith had to be intentionally placed before their fears. They could not allow fear to cripple them in this moment, but put their faith on the forefront and choose to trust in God and what God would do for them. The vision had to be on the forefront of the work. The vision had to be talked about, reminded of. They had to share stories of what God has done and to think about what would be on the other side of their faithfulness and their devotion. And everyone had to share the work. It belonged to everyone. Everyone had to be a part of it. There's a passage in Proverbs 29, um, 18, and the King James Version says it like this, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's quite the dramatic statement, but it's true. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Without Nehemiah's vision and burden, the Jewish way of existence was perishing. They had gone through so much They were returning to their homelands. They were trying to rebuild, but they were failing. They had not rallied together. Their community was weak, and they were perishing in their way of existence. And as you'll read in your small group guide, without Esther and Mordecai and their dedication, devotion, the Jewish existence would have perished. They were facing potential extinction. And so we see for the Jewish people, the temple was central to understanding their faith. And the walls and the city of Jerusalem were a key part of their shared identity. But they had been so dispersed by the exile that they only had a shared history, not a shared future. Nehemiah's devotion, vision, and leadership brought them to a place of commitment to a shared future. Every worthwhile adventure requires a move of devotion that propels us from empathy to action. Every worthwhile adventure requires a move of devotion that propels us from empathy to action. From apathy to action. And you have seen this. You have seen this in your own life. You could be very apathetic about a situation that our circumstances is unfolding until it's made personal until it digs at something that matters to you and it propels you forward. And suddenly you're in the fray, taking action, being a part of the journey. Ultimately, Nehemiah and the people that he rallied around him, they did a good work, a really great work. They overcame the odds and while they were not able to build Jerusalem back to exactly what it was prior with its previous glory and splendor, They built something greater. They built something greater. In the midst of the struggle in the history of the Jewish faith, this shared devotion and commitment fostered a stronger faith community. Nehemiah wasn't rebuilding the past. He was using the richness of history, the work and testament of the past to build a future for his fellow Jews. And for us, We are on a journey together. Individuals who are navigating faith 
and God's promises for the first time, as well as individuals who have been a part of the Bethesda history since nearly the beginning. We're here on this journey together, and you are invited to journey with us shoulder to shoulder as we are devoted to the future of God's movement in St. John's, in families, in the lives of children, in our schools, our community centers, in Torbay. You're invited. And as like Nehemiah, we need to prayerfully consider what God desires of us. We can each as individuals begin to take our next devoted step toward a deeper investment in what God is doing. We need to do that. Prayerfully consider how we can take our next devoted step toward a deeper investment in what God is doing, what he has been doing, and what he promises to do. We know that God does not, uh, God does work on the, other, on the other side of our faith. And what God does there is greater than any fear in the journey. What God is doing is greater than our fears. And he's doing a good work. When the wall was completed, the surrounding nations were actually afraid. Um, it's documented here for us. They were nervous. They were worried. They were scared. Not because the wall itself was massive and, and, and scary and intimidating. No, but because they saw a community of people rally together in strength and they knew that they could not accomplish it without God. They knew that it had to have been done with the help of God. And that was scary for their enemies. It's like Nehemiah, we are committing to keep our faith ahead of our fears and to have faith that God's help is with us. We believe that devotion to the good work of God is an open invitation for everyone. That personal relationship with Christ would propel us into action propel us forward, to propel us into looking at St. John's, to look at our community, to look at our workplaces, to look at our campus and to say, you know what? It's personal. It's personal because each and every individual in our path are personal to him. And because what he has done for us is personal to us. And so let's propel forward in devotion together with vision and purpose and joy in celebrating and helping our community see the Christ that is for them, the hope that they have in him. So practically, what does that mean for us today? What does that mean for us here and for me um, as we navigate tomorrow as a church? What does that mean for us? Well, it may mean showing up at Plan to Protect training tonight. Uh, the details are in your bulletin. Plan to Protect is an opportunity to receive training and uh, to become a volunteer to serve here at Bethesda. So maybe that's it for you. Maybe your step of devotion to say, hey God, I'm on board. This is personal. I'm gonna help make your name known. Maybe it's showing up to Plan to Protect and serving serving our children, our teenagers, serving at prime time. Maybe it means finding out what other opportunities are available through a community here at Bethesda, like ministries, like city kids or prime time and connecting deeper into community. Maybe that's what that means for you today. Maybe it means that you need to start giving financially to what God is doing. 
Maybe it means that you support missions and churches like Mosaic and Pastor Steve and the others that we are supporting. Maybe it means that you start buying into what God is doing through financial giving. Maybe it means that you pick up the vision and carry it in a small group and nurture your faith that way by saying, hey, I'm devoted to what God is doing. I'm gonna help myself and others like me grow. And so you navigate what that means. Nehemiah built something greater than a wall, so much greater. He rebuilt a community of faith. Nehemiah rebuilt a community of faith, a movement, a people. And as we continue into the future of Bethesda, we are confident that we will build a stronger community that brings strength and influence to the community that we thrive within. We can do that together. We can be for St. John's together, for the children of our community together. So thank you. Thank you for being on this journey with us. Thank you for being part of it. We're going to sing um, a song together um, as we navigate um, considering in our hearts what God wants from us. But let me just say, I am Bethesda. Not because the term Bethesda is shinier or better, but because together we're stronger, together we belong, together we have influence, together we can be devoted to what God's doing in our city, in our families, in our lives. And that's why I'm Bethesda. That's why this series is so important to us, to help us to figure out who we are together. So let's build together. Let's bring our devotion to the table. Let's make it personal. Let's carry the vision together. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.